right. Episode 35, AP. What do you think about that? 35 is, I mean, that that's fantastic. I mean, that's really impressive. When we got this thing going, I think you thought we would get about three episodes in, and then we're going to sell it back on eBay, that's right. our whole our whole site. But I was like, no, you know, we're going to save this equipment. We're going to do it. We're 35 episodes in. And Spence, let me, we better get started because there is a heck of a lot of news. There happening. is a ton going on, and we've got a PAC program. So we're going to talk about what's going on. Texas A&M got some new violations, what Kansas is doing to respond to their accusations. Ivy League canceling sports through up until January 1st next year. Stanford canceling 611 programs, Pac-12 Big Ten announcements. The Ducks and the Bucks aren't playing. There's a lot to cover. So let's get right into it. Yep, let's do it. What's on deck, Spence? All right, so we got Texas A&M football program has violated NCAA rules. They got dinged pretty bad. Two major violations. So here's what we know. The first violation is that the head coach and an NCAA enforcement staff uh, or, or an assistant coach and the head coach of Texas A&M, who is your buddy, uh, Jimbo Fisher. Jimbo Fisher. Of that's course. Jimbo. Jimbo. You so, know, if your name's Jimbo, you're you're coaching football. That's right. That's right. So they had impermissible contact with a prospect prior to the prospect, the completion of the prospect's junior year. So that's the first violation. So what's 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 wrong with that action? Yeah. So there's only certain times you can have in-person contact with a recruit just like there's certain times you can text certain times you can email certain times you can do certain things you can only have face-to-face contact at certain times of the year on the recruiting calendar and then it is of a certain age the the prospect is not of an age that they can have face-to-face contact like this recruit here you can't do it that's one of the more significant violations, pretty egregious, right? And it's always going to come out because you're going to meet with that kid. They're going to put it on Twitter. You know, Jimbo promised me this and that during our conversation today. I always told coaches at USC that was going to happen. They're going to out you every single time. And these rules are ingrained. I mean, Jimbo has been a coach for a long time, a head coach. He knows these rules. They're ingrained. And for whatever reason, they violated it. And it's pretty significant. So what if, what if they would have contacted this prospect? Uh, at the complete at the completion of the junior year, but before the senior year, would that be okay? Yeah. So I mean, it, as long as it's a time when when because there's a little recruiting calendar cheat sheet that all coaches get, and as long as it's it's permissible on the calendar, the recruiting calendar, and they're of the right age, so they're a senior, and it's during a contact period, then. Sure. You know, and, and, but there's a lot of rules. I mean, you can only talk to a kid so many times in a week and, and how many times you get so many different opportunities. It's a whole matrix, actually. Um, but in this situation, the kid was too young. And so Jimbo and the other the coach, the other assistant coach, um, created a pretty significant violation. I mean, it's a pretty big no-no because if you think about it, how special that kid feels. Like, hey, Jimbo Fisher took the time out to come and see me individually, and none of the other kid, uh, coaches did. And I saw Harbaugh in the stands, and I saw Clay Helton in the stands, and, and none of them came and saw me, but Jimbo Fisher came and saw me. I'm going to go to Texas A&M. But it's a violation. You can't do it, and so that's that's why you got to hit this pretty hard. Yeah, so they, they, they ended, as a result, as a penalty of that violation, they had to end the recruitment of the prospect. Prospect could still go there, but they can't recruit him anymore. They also can't recruit the prospect's high school for the next three to four years. Yeah, think about that. Is Imagine 
you have let's see here in Oregon, what's a major program? Jesuit, maybe? Yeah, Jesuit. Uh, imagine if you were a basketball coach and you couldn't recruit there now for four years because you made some error with one kid. That's a lot of recruits you can't touch. That could be devastating to your program, exactly. actually. All right. So now the other the other violation is something we've talked about in the program a lot, a CARA violation. So mm-hmm. explain again what is CARA for the listeners. Yeah, CARA is an acronym for countable athletically related activity. Countable time practice or competition as a student athlete. Remember, they monitor student athletes' time very strictly. In season it's 20 hours, out of season it's eight hours. There's some sometimes if it's a holiday. And, and there's no school going on, and you're in season, you can have unlimited CARA. So the calendar is is different per the season. But in season, if you're doing like maybe like say spring ball and you have 20 hours per week, that's it. I mean, if you go 21 hours, violation. 22 hours a week, violation. You can't do it. And they, they want everybody doing the same thing because they don't want Jimbo Fisher and Texas A&M practicing 30 hours. Well, everybody else is doing 20 because you're going to have extra practice time, extra reps, extra – um, catches and it's not fair and they don't want student athletes to be overrun because in the end they're still students first and so they have to have time to go to school do their other things so specifically what happened here was that during permissible permissible weeks of spring and summer activity the football program unintentionally caused student athletes to exceed activity limits by seven hours per week yeah, that's a lot. I mean, that's an entire day, right? And so, yeah, impermissible. But here's the thing. Uh, how these were, are usually caught is is a, a director of ops for football writes down all the times. And at the end of the week, they put it into compliance or into a software system. And the software will kick out, yep, this is, this is permissible or this is impermissible. You went over some hours. But that's a lot. And I, I wonder about Texas A&M compliance. Were they, were they there? Were they around? I know I was at almost every single one of USC's football practices. But CARA can also be other things than just practice. It's lifting weights. It's film review. It's meeting with coaches. Anything a student athlete does with a coach, whether observed, they're watched, they're required to be there, it's accountable time. So you can't be everywhere all the time. It sounds like football was just doing a bad job of tracking what they were doing. So, yeah, so they got put, put on a one-year probation. But the biggest issue, I think, is that the that there's a six-month show cause order for the head coach. So what does that mean as far as a show cause order against Jimbo Fisher? Well, yeah, if he went anywhere else, they'd have to show cause why they should hire him, basically. And they need to get over that. So it makes it harder for him to leave and go find another job right now. He also has to make a public statement addressing the violation. So we'll see what that what that is. But that that just happened this last week. So we're we're still waiting for that public uh, public acknowledgement. Yeah, yeah, and I think he got hit by, with head coach responsibility as well, which which is tough because. But that's part of it, right? Like you're responsible for for your program. Ten, fifteen years ago, Jimbo Fisher would have been able to say, "I don't know, hands in the air." I don't know what's going on, right? You can't do that anymore. And so now Jimbo Fisher is getting it pinned right on him, but they're under probation. They've had care of violations. You know, they've had um, now a head coach responsibility. He didn't foster a culture of compliance is the buzz term. You know, you needed to do more to make sure you had the right processes in place, the right trackers in place. You don't get extra practice time. You know, you don't get to, to go over seven hours. You know, you don't get to have contact with kids that are too young. Now, this is just a couple of innocent violations, technically in and of themselves, going over care one time or having one, uh, inner, you know, contact with a junior 
in and of itself probably isn't a major, but we talked about that where you have two or three things at the same time and that can turn it into a major. And so Texas A&M has themselves in a situation where they have some problems and, and now they can't even recruit for that, that high school for years. And that's going to really hurt them. Yeah. Both level two violations, but when you combine them together, we're talking major, major penalties. Mm-hmm. Now uh, let's move to the Kansas situation. So we've talked about the Kansas issue. It's, there's a lot going on at Kansas. Um, and uh, specifically it came out this week that they have decided to go through the infraction referral committee, the independent accountability resolution process. And, you know, the, the interesting thing about that is that everything in that process remains confidential until the decision. So we're not going to know a lot of the facts about what information is provided, what information is found out. And you know, all we, we could just get a penalty in the decision and that's going to be it, right? That's probably what's going to happen, right? And they're going to protect coaches and egos and, and personalities and, and all of that. And we'll just get the decision. It's probably a smart move on Kansas part. Kansas has major problems coming. They're, they're, they're in big trouble. Um, they can try to fight it all they want, but they're in big trouble. But this is probably a smart move on their part. All right. All right. Well, we'll continue to monitor the Texas A&M and the Kansas situation. And the more information we get, we'll make sure to share with you guys. Absolutely. All right, uh, so here we are. We're back. This is AP and Spence, two lawyers talking sports law. Um, uh, boy, there has been a lot going on with the coronavirus casualties, as you have so appropriately coined. Um, gosh, uh, Stanford cut 11 sports programs. Now, Stanford, I thought, had a ton of sports programs. Didn't they, didn't they basically have every single sport covered? Yeah, they were in the 30s. They had the most of any Pac-12 school. So they can afford to lose 11, I guess, but it's really sad, right? You have a lot of student-athletes out of jobs, a lot of coaches out of jobs, a lot of staff members out of jobs. And, I mean, that's cutting almost a third of their athletic department. You're going to have a lot of people laid off, a lot of people um, cut. And this is Stanford University, a very rich um school yeah one of the biggest endowments in the united states yeah but this is this is the right sizing of college athletics i really only think coronavirus is only a part of it i really think this you're going to start seeing this at duke and vandy and other schools it's ucla maybe usc um cal because i think they're just they're taking on too many sports they're taking on too much debt it's a broken kind of business model unfortunately and it hurts a lot of people but it just is what it is and it used to start as sort of a novelty and now you're having to have other people step in to fund these programs and the business model's broken. I think coronavirus is kind of a good excuse for them to say, hey, you know what? We need to take these tough decisions right now. we got to cut some sports. Um, so Stanford, yeah, large cuts. Large cuts. I mean, you know, th- there are some Olympic type sports, but they're also cutting bigger sports like men's volleyball and, and, uh, and men's wrestling. And, you know, those are big time sports where they've had national championships and they've had a lot of success in some of these sports, right? Yeah. And it's part of that kind of like, I mean, Ivy league, right? Ivy league has made the decision not to play any sports this fall, no sports this fall. And, and Stanford's cutting 11 programs. What you're seeing is from some of these more cerebral schools, a little bit, of sports isn't quite as important to us. And we're going to set them aside. We're going to cut them. We're going to save budgets. And that's an interesting thing. We're going to want, I wonder if there's going to be a trend of that where more and more programs start cutting sports. There was only one uh, Ivy League school that was supposed to play a D1 school this year in football, which was uh, Princeton was going to play Army. But other than that one game, there were no other Ivy Leagues that were playing 
a D1, I, Ivy League school of football that were playing a D1 football program. So as of right now, a lot of the D1 programs are still going, but there is there is some there are some cracks already happening in that in that theory, right? Yeah, the the dominoes are falling. I mean, the Big Ten decided we're going to play play a conference only schedule, and so the impact of that is that the Oregon Ducks and the Ohio State Buckeyes were going to play a big game coming up. Huge, that's canceled. Huge game. Yep, that's canceled. It's off the books now. The Pac-12. I expect the Pac-12 to follow here soon. That they're going to go conference only. That's going to throw Notre Dame into a tiff. The Alabama USC game to open up the season, I think, is going to be off the books. Um, I don't think anything's official just yet, but that's coming. I think Big Ten, Pac-12, and I wouldn't be surprised if the SEC, ACC all followed suit and everybody's playing conference only games. That allows them to to delay the season about three weeks or a month, shorten the season a little bit on the back end, maybe. Uh, but it, but it throws a problem for for schools like BYU and Notre Dame where they're going to have to mad scramble to fill out their schedule. Well, yeah, my thinking is is that Notre Dame is probably going to get picked up by the ACC since they're part of the ACC and for basketball and for most of their other sports. So I wouldn't be surprised if the ACC gives gives Notre Dame a, throws Notre Dame a bone, so to speak. But yeah, I'm I'm concerned about uh, schools like BYU, like Liberty, like Army, New Mexico State. UConn, those independent schools that don't have a conference affiliation, where are they going to go? Are, are they going to just play their 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 non-conference? You know, their 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 whole schedule is going to be these independents. You know, they're going to play them twice or something. I don't know. Yeah, play Army at home in a way. You know, I, I, will this become permanent? Will the Pac-12 and Big Ten really like it this year and think, you know, actually, let's start doing that from now on? And all of a sudden, you have these Power Five programs that are their they're their own league. I've been I've heard that for a while. There's, there's like a super division one and then a regular division one, the super division one, the PAC 12, ACC, SEC, big 12, big 10 all come together and they're just playing each other. And then everybody else can either join their conference or they're kind of left to the side. And will this cause a massive shift within college football? I don't know. Yeah. It'd be interesting. I know for, for me being a BYU fan, I'm really disappointed because BYU was supposed to play Michigan state at home to open the season. After we played at Utah, then we were supposed to play Michigan state at home, huge game, huge opportunity for us. And then we were supposed to play at Minnesota. And I guess my question is, you know, why, why is BYU traveling to Minnesota any different than Penn state traveling to Minnesota? It's basically the same distance geographically. It's not like coronavirus knows the difference between conference and non-conference games. So why, what, what is going on behind the scenes here that's causing these conferences to say, okay, we're not going to play non-conference games, but we're going to play in conference. What's going on? It's protectionism. I mean, it's a sense, why take extra risk? You know, we have to play our conference games because otherwise it would screw the whole conference up. We're protecting our own. We're going to play each other and be on TV. But everybody else, we're not playing you. We're, we're just, you're on your own, you're on our own Island. And this is our, our group. And we're not going to do that extra flight and that extra thing. I mean, it's, you know, it's the whole idea. I mean, you know, coronavirus, uh, it doesn't spread at Costco as you know, Spencer, but it, but it spreads at other places. It's the same idea, That's right. That's right? right? It's the same idea. Uh, it, it, coronavirus spreads when you fly to a non-conference game. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. But if it's, if it's a conference game, it does not spread. I think I, I'm pretty sure Dr. Fauci said that. That's- Coronavirus is the smartest virus we've ever seen, and it's just amazing what it can and can't do. But I guess you know, uh, you know, we joke, but it just, it just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. If if you're going to be, in in my opinion, this is akin to what was happening in March this year, right before March Madness got canceled, right? You were saying, okay, well, we're gonna 
we're going to, you know, some schools said we're not traveling to Seattle to play and we're not traveling to Salt Lake City to play some of the areas where there was, uh, there were some hubs of, of the coronavirus to start. And then all of a sudden that trickled to Ivy League canceling its, 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 its tournament. Then the Big Ten, Big 12, they all canceled their tournaments. And all of a sudden it was like, no, but we're still doing March Madness with no fans. And then March Madness was gone, right? And then spring sports were gone. Seems to me like this is just another domino that's, that's just falling, right? Yeah. Uh, football has to go, though. That was the different domino. It's a heavy domino. To push over. Imagine you got all these little ding, 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 ding dominoes, and you got football, this five-pound brick. That was an impressive sound effect you just did. I'm just going to point that out. Well, I'm a beatboxer. I've yeah. always been a beatboxer. <laughs> yeah, keep See right going. there. Keep you know, so, uh, but that's the thing. I mean, I honestly, football's, football has to go. I mean, it's that simple. It has to go, or college athletics will simply just kind of collapse. Yeah, but so what is, what happens to the smaller conferences? I mean, you know, Akron playing at Notre, you know, playing at uh, Indiana, it get, Akron gets a huge payout. I don't know if they were playing this year, but like for example, uh, you know, smaller conference, a MAC school or a or a Mountain West school, uh, those schools playing at these big schools, they get a huge payout, right? And uh, you know, sometimes a million to two million dollars per game. So it seems to me like. Seems to me like something's going on. Something's going to have to happen for these schools to even exist next year. Yeah, it's a haves and have nots, right? The coronavirus is hurting people to make $40,000 a year or less more. And the the non-Power 5 schools are going to get just crushed. Uh, and, and I don't know if they'll ever survive. There might be a bigger divide between these programs. And it's really sad to see. But um, we'll see how it shakes out. But watch for the Pac-12 on deck next. Okay. Well, we'll continue to monitor this and make sure that uh, we 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 update everybody about what's going on. But you know, I I really hope college football goes, but we'll just have to keep an eye on it. All right, what does that sound mean, Aaron? It means we have a caller. That's right, and this caller, as as it always has been, is brought to us by Welch Brun and Green. Welch Brun and Green is a law firm and based in Portland, Oregon. We specialize in workers' comp, personal injury, social security disability, and what else? Collegiate sports law. Basically, we do consulting services for schools, for student-athletes, for parents, administrators. Basically, anything a compliance office could do, we could do. Give us a call, and we'll help you out. So how do they get in contact with you? 503-221-0870. That's our law firm phone number. Give us a call. Ask for Aaron or Spencer. You can also email us at collegesportsattorneys at gmail.com. Or lastly, you can go to our website, www.wbgatty.com, and all of our information is on there. Give us a call. You won't regret it. All right, here we are. We're going to the phones, AP, and who do we have on the phones right now? We have Kirsten. I know, so that that's a unique name. I like that name because some people are going to say, that's Kristen. And no, no, it's not Kristen. It's Kirsten. Kirsten uh, Sires, I believe is how you pronounce it. She's a CEO and founder of a of a company called LRT Sports, established in 2014, and we're really excited to talk to her. Um, I think their their company does some really cool things. We're going to dig into what they do, how they do it, and get to know her a little bit as well. That's awesome. Hey, Chris, Kirsten, how are you doing? I'm great. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. And you did say my last name correctly. So, so great work on that. <laughs> two, two points for AP already. He yeah. likes that. Oh yeah. 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 I feel good. I started off with a quick layup. I'm in the, I'm in the warm up line right now. When you start shooting threes, I'm going to get some air balls, but let's, let's start this thing off. So, so uh, Kirsten, um, first of all, we really appreciate your time today, obviously. And we always like to start with people who 
you know, we really enjoy talking with people who are in the sports world and who, you know, essentially make a living in the sports world like you do. And, and we're really intrigued with your website and what you do. So can you kind of give us a little bit of your background and, uh, and, uh, and then a little bit of the background of the company that you run? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I was a college athlete. I went to Skidmore College, which is a D3 school in Saratoga Springs, New York. And I graduated in 2014. I played tennis and soccer there. So that's kind of what drew me into starting LRT Sports. But I was in a situation where I was recruited for tennis, played tennis my freshman year, didn't get along with my coach, ended up quitting, and then was a walk-on for soccer for my last three years. So I had a really unique experience because most of the time with athletes, as you guys probably know, people are transferring and not necessarily switching sports. Um, so, so I'm in a unique situation and through that whole experience, I was able to kind of see a need in the market for just more information on college recruiting, college athletics, coaching, everything else that kind of goes involved with, you know, being a college athlete. And, you know, through that, this idea kind of came up and it, you know, the idea came up in 2014 and then we launched the website in, uh, like late in December of 2015. So the website's been live since 2015, but um, essentially what we do is we allow college athletes to rate their college coaches. So we're actually getting uh, verified college athletes. They're going on rating their college coaches, and then it's posted on the site anonymously uh, for the next generation of college student athletes to see. And that was like the bread and butter. That's where we started, but we've actually expanded it into an entire website where our mission is understanding college athletics. So we're really just trying to help people understand everything that goes into college athletics and obviously recruiting plays into that. Yeah. You know, this is such a cool idea because I mean, I can, I can ex speak from a, you know my own perspective when I was at Oregon state for a couple of years in compliance. And then I was at USC for about six years in compliance. So about eight years at the FBS division one level. And I dealt with women's soccer and football and all these different sports and it was really, really interesting how certain coaches, how they would interact with student athletes would really impact their experience. You know, if you had a coach that, gosh, was just a, uh, you know, somebody that maybe didn't support the, um, the players as, as much as they wanted or didn't have as close of a relationship, that was really impactful to the, to the student athletes. And I, I would imagine having some sort of advanced uh, kind of a Yelp review in some sense, I guess, but like a an understanding of, you know, what are the experiences of other people who have played and worked with this coach? And gosh, that's going to go into my experience because you really only get one collegiate experience and, and having that sort of understanding of, gosh, this person has a great review and they have this and that going on. Uh, that sounds like somebody I would want to play for. Um, that's that's got to be really valuable. Uh, um, is that kind of how it works a little bit? I mean, you got you got people that are kind of, I mean, lack of a better term, they're kind of giving sort of a Yelp review in, in a sense of, of their experience. Yeah. So the the idea was actually originally based off of rate my professor. So you know, very similar. Um, you're going in, you're rating a, a bunch of different attributes on the college coach, um, and the idea is for student-athletes and parents, when they're going into their decision-making process, um, they have that information available. And, you know, of course, we all know what Nick Saban is like, because you could, you know, basically watch him on the field the entire game, or there's books about him, and, and you know, he's such a huge success. Um, but there might not be a ton of information on the D2 coaches, the, the D3 coaches, and even just some of the 
D1 coaches, but the not so popular sports. So maybe swimming and diving or fencing or, you know, a lot of other sports that go into it because they're not getting any publicity. So we just want athletes to be able to share their story um, from the college athlete perspective, but also have the next generation of student athletes have a way more informed opinion before they go into their decision-making process. Because, you know, with uh, transfer rates are, are higher than they should be for college athletes and you're really committing to a university for a lifetime and people get really wrapped up in um, the athletics component, but they don't focus enough on researching and going to a school for the school. Um, sometimes it just becomes almost like a competition of who's signing first, who has a scholarship, who doesn't. And I have a tendency to see that people are kind of sometimes in it for the wrong reasons. Um, when college is a very real, real commitment um, to any student athlete and, and even parent at that point. That's awesome. I, I uh, just real quickly before we get too much further into this, I actually have a Skidmore College shirt. I collect college T-shirts, and I have one from Skidmore College. Dan, do you know their mascot? Kirsten, don't help him here. Do you know their mascot? I absolutely do. Yeah, what's that? Uh, it's got to be like um, you know when I start like that, then it's going to be a pure guess. But uh, but I'm going to say <laughs> it's got to be probably like Quakers. No, the Thoroughbreds. Is that right, Kirsten? Yep, yeah, Thoroughbreds. Yeah, nailed it. The Thoroughbreds. Wow. Yeah. Well, yeah. that that's a pretty cool name, though. Yeah, I, I I can appreciate that. The Thoroughbreds, because when you think of thoroughbred, you don't think of like lazy, you know, no. or or sickly or something. No, you're, no. you're thinking healthy, strong. Let's do it. That's a good. That's a good name, actually. Yeah. So, Kirsten, what I wanted to ask is, you know, you you mentioned that when you're rating these different coaches, that there are different like categories or characteristics that you're rating of these coaches. So, what are some of those characteristics? Um, as far as what the student athletes are, are actually rating their coaches on? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, what we focus on is how accessible they are, how cool they are, because that, that is actually an important factor, um, <laughs> how direct they are, how honest they are, intensity, knowledgeable, and motivational. So trying to encompass all components of the coach um, from a personality perspective, but also from how knowledgeable they are about the game. Um, and I think that's especially important for maybe a coach that didn't play that sport in college or um, somebody that is, you know, so, there's a lot of males that are coaching female sports, so softball or anything like that. I think to have a coach that's going to step into that role and hasn't played that sport, they need to be, like, even more knowledgeable um, because maybe they don't have that skill. Um, but those are the, the components that we kind of allow the student-athletes to rate on. And they're allowed to leave a comment as well. Oh, that's really cool. That that's you know, I, I did notice in the about us section, um, it, it appeared that you guys also talked to families, student athletes, that sort of thing, about understanding the recruiting process. Do you guys get into maybe uh, initial eligibility, uh, the recruiting calendars, kind of just help them understand uh, what the coaches are kind of going through and the rules they're under? Is is that sort of the idea? Yeah. So you know, we touched on a lot of different topics. Eligibility is certainly one of them. Um, but I think where we really thrive is sharing those firsthand stories. So we actually have talked to, you know, hundreds of college coaches about what they look for in a recruit, when they're recruiting, how they want recruits to contact them. Um, so we have this data set basically of all these coaches, all these athletes, all these experiences, and we're able to go in and talk to student athletes about what coaches are really looking for. And we like to get sports specific with it. So um, you know, we could be talking to a, a soccer team 
a women's soccer team. And that recruiting process is going to look even different than the men's soccer. So yes, we do eligibility. That's a little bit more broad, but where we really thrive is honing in on those exact pinpoints of, Hey, here's how you should be um, using Twitter to get recruited by coaches, or here's what uh, women's soccer D3 soccer coach is going to look for versus a D1 soccer coach. And, you know, understanding that, you know, if you have high academics, you, you can combine academic with athletic scholarships, breaking into um, the real truth behind the scholarship process with D1, 2, and 3, and kind of just really giving them a reality check with a lot of different things because everybody thinks that they're going to be a full-ride D1 athlete, and they don't even bother to look if that's even possible for their sport before they're saying, hey, I'm going to get a full ride. Um, and a very, very small percentage of high school athletes actually end up even playing in college. It's only 7% of high school athletes. So that's the kind of stuff we're really giving them realities um, on the recruiting process and almost trying to just, just disrupt the recruiting process in general um, and having them understand how they can do that. Yeah, there's so much that goes into recruiting, you know, and a student athlete's decision to attend a certain school. I mean, it's their whole life. It's their college career. And it's amazing how much misinformation is out there or lack of understanding. Um, or they can maybe get really excited about, I'm going to play for this coach because I had a great visit and he, you know, uh, I got some swag to put on and and it was really cool and then the coach takes another job the next year and then suddenly they're wait a minute now I'm at this school I thought, thought I kind of signed up for that coach there's so many different factors that go into going to a, a school having a great program having a service like yours at least to me seems like uh critical because it's very complex I mean you got compliance offices trying to explain stuff you got you got school counselors and I can't tell you how many times uh I, I've sat there in a compliance office and had a, a, you know, a kid in my office in tears wanting to transfer. They, they're not liking their experience. They don't like the coach for whatever reason. They're, they're not being utilized like they thought they were going to be, or, or maybe they didn't take the right classes and the waiver was denied their initial eligibility waiver. And so they're going to have to sit out a year. There's so many critical things that can come up and having some sort of service that can kind of help guide them and get as much information as possible is, is critical because I mean, gosh, without it, you're going to stumble, you're going to have problems. And, and yeah, there's, I mean, there's scholarship limitations and there's, there's scholarships now are given for multi years. And so there's sort of like structures and, and puzzle pieces put in place. And so there's a lot more at stake, I think, than it used to be. And so, uh, first of all, I think you're, that this, the service is, is, um, really, really critical. What do you think? Yeah. Sarah? And I, Oh God. Yeah. Go ahead, Kirsten. Yeah. No, I was just going to say, I totally agree with you. And I think, you know, I was just having a conversation with somebody last night and they were saying, oh, I'm going to some girl signing her national letter of intent. Uh, the girl doesn't really want to go to the school, but the school she wants to go to with COVID, they're not sure if they're going to have a program. They don't know. They're not really giving out that much money, budget cuts, whatever it may be. And it's so frustrating to hear situations like that because you're basically taking a scholarship offer for all the wrong reasons and then you're going to have a kid go into a situation where they already know they don't like the school and don't want to be there um she might end up having an amazing experience and you know that happens all the time but it's already just putting yourself in a precarious situation when you could go to and, and research a school more and, and the parent said something like well she could just transfer after six months like no, you, you can't. You can't. You have to do the whole year. You're signing a contract. You're signing a national letter of intent that's contractually binding. But guess what? The program has no um, 
loyalty to you. The coach doesn't have to have any contractually binding anything to you. So it's really a lot of, um, I guess, just like risk on the athlete side, but never really the school or the coach or anybody else that's involved with the athletics component. And I always want people to do as much research as possible, even if it's right now during COVID online or whatever it may be, because people seem to forget like scholarships are contractually binding, national letters of intent are contractually binding, and you're, you're making real decisions um, at a young age and you don't want to be doing it because of an ego or because you're, you know, arch rival on the opposing soccer team signed and you want to sign too. Yeah, that's a good point. And actually, you brought up an, an interesting point because, you know, I'm, I'm seeing story after story about all these high schools for in the COVID era that we're in, you know, all these seniors potentially not having a senior season, you know, uh, because, you know, Texas football, Texas high school football right now may not have a season next year. And and Louisiana, the same. And all these all these states are saying we're, we're going to just basically shut down sports. So how does that affect seniors in recruiting next year i mean you know how are they going to get their information out there how are they going to get their skills you know some people i didn't stop growing until i was 21 you know and so like how how you know kirsten how what do you think about how recruiting is going to change in the wake of covid19 i think it's going to change a lot um i'm not necessarily upset about it either i think in general, putting a pause on sports hopefully allows people to have time to remember why they're playing first and foremost, but in specific, like in regard to recruiting specifically, um, I think now that you're seeing athletes and coaches having to get on zoom calls, video calls, um, they're, you know, coaches are accepting film right now. That's not even game film. It could be the kid running a combine for football or track and field has an app where you can go on and it like, um, has your time for any running event. And there's a lot of different, uh, I guess, technological advances that recruiting is making right now that I'm excited about. It was a little in the past, in my opinion. Um, and I don't think sports are particularly great with keeping up with the times and all the resources that we have in technological advances. So I think um, you'll see maybe instead of a student athlete having to fly from Australia or across the country for a recruiting trip, that maybe the coach isn't totally into having the kid on the team and they're wasting their time and money and energy. Maybe there's something where there's a more of a virtual recruiting experience for people even before they get to the campus um, so they can kind of make decisions quicker and be more informed throughout the recruiting process. But, you know, for the kids that don't have seasons and stuff, like it's such a tough situation to be in. And I think what we've been doing right now is communicating a lot with the college coaches and just trying to understand what it is that they're accepting as far as, you know, game film, uh, the ability to interact with coaches and players. We had one student athlete that we work with who um, was on a video call with a school for six hours. And he was talking to the current and former players, the coaches and everything else where you would have never seen that before. It would have been all in person. Um, and maybe honestly, at this point, he wouldn't have even gone in person quite yet and would have just been talking to the coach. But this gives athletes a little bit of, um, I think, a little bit more decision making power as they're going through their recruiting process. Yeah, I, I think that's, I mean, it's critical because I know like the compliance office when I worked there, there's really only so much we could do when a kid 
wasn't ours, so to speak, yet. You know, they weren't on campus. They weren't a student athlete. They were a prospect. And so we really couldn't have a bunch of interactions with them. And, and, and we, I mean, we could evaluate their transcript and that sort of thing, and a few little things. But really, it seemed like once they got to the school, that's when we really started educating them and telling them all the things that need to happen. And so they were sort of guessing and kind of Googling things and talking to friends. And, and that's a really tough, tough way to go. Well, Kristen, uh, Kristen, you know, first of all, I think you have a fantastic service. I think it's it's needed. I mean, I know that uh, I have firsthand experience from Oregon State or USC. There's a lot of kids with a lot of confusion that came in. And let's say you have a listener right now that's that's a high school junior, sophomore, something like that, uh, maybe a parent, uh, and they think, "Gosh, that you know, LTR Sports sounds pretty good. I mean, how do I find them? What do they cost? What services do they offer? How how could uh, how could they sort of uh, get it going? Yeah, so it's um, the website's lrtsports.com, and then we're on like every form of social media. Uh, I don't know if TikTok is really going to be around in a couple weeks or not yet, but uh, we are on TikTok as of right now too, but Instagram, LinkedIn, everything else like that. Uh, but as far as services, we have um, a varsity membership. So most like the ratings and most of the stuff that we talked about today is for free, but our varsity membership actually helps the student-athlete walk through the recruiting process um, specific to their sport. And then also on top of that, um, it helps them just organize their recruiting process and get information on, you know, if you're going to verbally commit what that means. If you, uh, we have interviews with admissions officers from colleges to discuss what, you know, certain athletes need to be doing that might be different than a regular student. Um, and, and we kind of just dive into all that information as far as recruiting process. Um, and like I said, we have toolkits and, and sports-specific things. So a student-athlete can go on LRT Sports, get on the varsity membership, and then they have a PDF that's basically like an exact step-by-step process what to do for their sport. And um, for some sports, we actually even break it up into divisions. Um, and for football, like maybe what's the difference between FCS and FBS and what do we need to be doing differently to get recruited to each and how much of, you know, your height and weight are actually going to matter and everything else that kind of goes into the, the recruiting process. That is so awesome. I, I really am intrigued by this because it, I think that, um, you know, I, I was not a college athlete, but I had two brothers who were college athletes and, and uh, their experience with their, they had a great connection with their coach. They were swimmers, a great connection with the coach, loved the coach. And that really made a difference for them. Um, and so I think that, that that the whole process that you're talking about, Kirsten, is so cool that you guys kind of help them walk them through. It reminds me of a book that I read before I started law school was What to Expect. You know, it was kind of like what it was. I can't remember the name of the, the name of the book, but it was like what to expect if you're going to law school, you know. And and mm-hmm. that 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 book to me is essentially what you're doing for these college athletes. Right. Like helping you prepare for what the life of a college athlete is going to be from the beginning, from the recruiting process through the uh through you know interacting with the coaches and i I just think that's spectacular thank you yeah and we even have stuff for the current uh college athlete which you know on the huddle which is the free version of our site i mean we're posting a lot right now about name image and likeness rules um laws around censorship of student athletes on social media and we're just actually trying to dive into even the bylaws for current student athletes with transferring and everything else so that they're armed with as much information as possible um, because I, you know, we've mentioned this on the call earlier or on the podcast earlier, but you know, there's a lot of information out there, but 
it's hard for everybody that to digest it. Um, I mean, you guys can probably because you're lawyers, but you know, when you're talking to a normal student athlete, they're having a hard time understanding what all these bylaws mean. So we're trying to make it as digestible as possible um, in this recruiting process. And actually, um, we have a girl on our team who is, has a PhD in NCAA policy. So she is like a huge, huge asset. Um, and she's the one who's diving in and actually, you know, going into the bylaws and helping athletes understand what a voluntary workout means and all that kind of, you know, information. That's awesome. Well, I, for all the listeners out there, people who are going through this recruiting process, I've checked out the website. It's spectacular. I know Aaron, you checked it out as well. We definitely recommend it. Um, and Kirsten, we really appreciate your time today uh, and, and uh, appreciate your knowledge and your, um, your website and what you're doing for college athletes. Um, we, we wish you all the best and hopefully we can stay in contact with one another. Yeah, absolutely. Would love to. And thank you again so much for having me. I really appreciate it. All right. Have a good day. See ya. You too. Well, that was a spectacular conversation with uh, Kirsten Sires at LRT Sports. Check them out. You really should. The the website is lrt-sports.com. Check them out if you're a college athlete or if you're even interested in how your alma mater schools are being rated as far as their coaches. It's really great. They had had a ton of BYU coaches on there. They had USC coaches on there. They really they had a lot of different schools. Schools from D one to, to D three. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, especially the D two and D three, where you're not going to know as much about the coaches, but there's still a lot of D one coaches you don't know about. And even if you do know about them, let's say like a Nick Saban or something like that, it would still be kind of cool to know what people are saying about that coach. Like if they say, oh, you know what? He promises we're going to get uh, playing time right away, but then he never does. Or th- Knowing those trends, I think, are really important. I mean, you're committing to your college career as much information as you can give yourself to make the right choice. So whether you're a parent listening, a student athlete, hey, coaches, you may want to check this out, see what kids are saying about you. Right. Right. I mean, that's not a bad idea. So this is a good service. Uh, it's like rate my professor, but this is rate my coach. Uh, check it out. And uh, I think it's really cool and really important. Really cool. Now, we had another kind of interesting thing that broke this last uh, just this last couple of days with the Zion Williamson case. So here's what we know about that. So court documents show that Zion Williamson's stepfather supposedly received four hundred thousand dollars from an agent prior to him committing to Duke. So. First of all, is that a violation? Can the stepfather receive money? Before we get into the actual allegations and the truthfulness behind these allegations, is that a violation for the stepfather to receive money on behalf of his stepson? It is, yeah, because a student athlete, uh, parents are an extension. And so, because otherwise it would be like, oh, hey, I'm a high schooler. You can all just pay my parents. Don't worry about paying me directly, and it's going to be totally fine. No, you know, so so yeah, he's he's accepting payment from an agent because of the sports ability of his son. So violation, and so it makes him ineligible. So when he signed for Duke, even if Duke says, "Well, my gosh, we didn't know anything about it," and the NCAA said we didn't know anything about it, well, that's true. But but you found out about it now. I mean, you could say the same thing with Reggie Bush. USC didn't know about that for a while. It still goes back to the date you become ineligible i'm telling you there's a lot of smoke with this zion stuff and so if he's ineligible then again remember as we went over the the case uh a couple of weeks ago if you you want to go back and listen to our discussion about it the big question is under the north carolina law the uaaa rule he is 
he if he is ineligible, he is then he could sign this agreement with this agent, which is what he's trying to break. And so that's why this is so important. Now, getting to the actual allegations, the allegations are brought by someone who who within the this Gina Ford, the Gina Ford agency has tried to and has been proven as a fraudulent person in the past. He tried to extort some money from um, uh, 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 one of the players for the Dallas Mavericks and and some other players, foreign-born players. So where he Doncic, so he's not a good guy. And so there, there's a lot of questions as to whether or not this is an accurate, this has actually happened. But there is there is some smoke there. Yeah, I mean, because yeah, if it is true, then Duke played an ineligible player that whole year. They'd have to forfeit those games and they could be hit with a, a serious violation. Right. And also then Zion signed a valid contract right. and he's going to owe a bunch of money to this other place. Now he's got a bunch of money, so he could probably pay off all these different people. Worst case scenario, settle out. And, but I mean, nobody wants to settle out for 20, 30, 40 million bucks. That's a bunch of money. I still think this is going to settle. I think before we get into any kind of actual factual information, it's going to settle. That's my that's my gut. That's what my gut's telling me. What do you think? I think so, and I think, but I think if you settle, it's almost like an admission in a lot of ways. It doesn't always mean that, but I think feel like in here, if you did absolutely nothing wrong, you didn't take any money, you didn't sign illegally, you didn't do anything, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, someone's trying to get a bunch of money out of you. Like, no, forget you. You know, I'm not. I mean, maybe I'll give you fifty grand for my legal expenses. Right. I'm not giving you twenty million bucks. Yeah. So if we give some giant, but I bet you it's going to be a settlement with undisclosed terms. Exactly. And then, yeah, and then all of a sudden everything will go away, but but it looks very suspect. suspect. And the NCAA is their hands are kind of tied because what are they going to do? They don't have subpoena power and that sort of thing. But it looks it looks really bad. And this is what happens. I mean, it's so difficult to recruit these premier players that are offered money and, and planes and tickets and trains and cars all over the place. And then you got parents that are not used to maybe having money. And their hands are out as well. And you got some programs that are offering money. It's really tough to get those players completely clean. Right. Where they've not taken money from anybody. They haven't done any violations. All squeaky clean amateurism. And then six months later, they're signing $100 million shoe deals. That's the, but it, it's still strange to me that they take all of this, right? Knowing that, gosh, in six months, we're going to be getting a ton of money anyways. It always baffles me because it always comes out. But by the time it comes out, Zion's moved on. He's in the NBA. Family's right. moved on. Right. But Duke is your alma mater forever, right? And you're going to want to come around, be around recruits, be on the, the, the sidelines of Duke basketball games. You want to wear the Duke gear. That's part of your legacy. And if you're like, if you're tainted and you caused a bunch of problems for the school and you embarrassed yourself and your name and you were kind of a cheater, that's bad. You know, Reggie Bush wanted to be part of USC, but he's like tainted himself a little bit. Now, he, now 10 years later, they're kind of welcoming him back. I don't think they would have welcomed him back one or two years later, it's going to take a long time. Right. So if this does hit Duke, we'll see if it does. We don't know for sure, but if it does, um, it's just, just really an, an unfortunate situation. Yeah. Well, we'll keep, we'll continue to keep an eye on this, on this situation and what's going on, go, what's going on with Zion. It seems like every week something new is happening. So, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for the listeners out there, we have some sad news to report. Uh, we were, uh, contacted yesterday by, uh, by a friend of the show, Ryan Zenner, uh, who has been a friend of the show from almost the very beginning. Uh, we've had a couple of shows where he's been on. He challenged me to a college nickname off. Uh, um, both were controversial to say the least, but we have, we received information that he passed away unexpectedly last week. And uh, our hearts go out to Ryan Zenner and his family. 
he was a great man, a good, good guy. We talked with him a lot. He was a good friend, a good friend of the show for sure. And, um, and, uh, you know, we're going to miss him. He's a great guy. Yeah. It's just, it, it's so sad. I was stunned and saddened to hear, um, when somebody's young and in their prime and, and they suddenly pass away, uh, one, it's just heartbreaking. I feel I heartbreak for the family and his wife and, and, uh, everybody that knew him. Um, we, we loved having him on the show. He's a funny guy. And, and some of the, you guys that listen to our podcast probably remember the episodes where, uh, Spencer controversially beat him and there was an asterisk, but we big time asterisk on both. Of them. Yeah. But we, we joke, but, uh, this is st- stunning and saddening. Um, and my heart breaks and, and, and a reminder that kind of sometimes how fragile life can be, you know, and, and do the things you love, uh, love with a big heart, you know, and we just really, really put a lot of thoughts and prayers out to his family and wish them comfort and nothing about to, the best in this just horrible tragedy. Absolutely, absolutely. So Ryan, we will be uh, we'll be thinking about you and your family, and and uh, every time we have a, a college nickname off with somebody, well, maybe we'll call it the Ryan Zenner uh, nickname off challenge or something like that. Yeah. So we'll do something cool to to remember you and and uh, and the the positive influence you had on us and um, and and the show and 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 what we're trying to do here. So really appreciate getting to know him. He was great, great guy, great man, and uh, we're gonna miss him. Yeah. All right, everybody. Well, on that unfortunately sad note, we uh, we will uh, end the podcast today. But we hope everybody has a great weekend. Enjoy the beautiful weather, and let's let's kick COVID out. Let's just say it's let's just be done with it. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'm I'm really tired of COVID nineteen. It's becoming COVID twenty. I hope it doesn't get into COVID twenty one. At some point, let's let's flatten this curve get it gone, get sports back, get our life back. And, and I'm ready for it to be gone. It's, it's caused kind of a, I mean, it's been what, March, April, May, June, July, you know, at some point let's, let's get past this and move on with our lives. And so hopefully, hopefully we can get back to bright days ahead. And I think so, Spence, I think it's coming. All right, let's do it. Everybody stay safe out there. Thank you.